0: This week in the markets, gold shares blasted into orbit outperforming most blue chips for the second week running as investors cheered increased probabilities of a Fed rate cut as soon as next month. Well, welcome back to GoldSeek.com Radio, everyone, your host with you on this season 14, episode 701. Well, in part two of our discussion with Dr. Chris Martinson this week, of peakprosperity.com, author of Prosper, he says silver is the market he's watching, where price is well below the cost of production. And there is a growing silver shortage. He outlines the details. And then the discussion turns to the cryptocurrency market, where he is a strong advocate of the personal freedoms and security benefits associated with the decentralized currencies. We discuss the issue that most regulators have had a laissez-faire hands-off-like policy viewing the new technology similar to, say, email or Internet in the late 1990s. Cryptos offer safe and reliable transfer of wealth of assets. Contracts and sale transactions. Also, their speed, accountability, transparency, anonymity, and efficiency are appealing. It offers virtually everyone worldwide the opportunity for banking, brokerages, jobs, mortgages, small business loans, education, things they may not have even had access to before. Just a discarded iPhone or Android. You can find them for five or ten dollars, sometimes on eBay, or frankly, People find them all the time through a Wi-Fi hotspot, no monthly payment there and no payment for a service or contract. We discuss how Microsoft sells identical operating systems, right? It's the same system for each computer. So why are people so concerned about the intangible hands off, no coin aspect of Bitcoin and related cryptos? It's a very similar technology, and perhaps just as valuable. Well, look at Microsoft, the 30-year success story for selling, essentially, digital wear. And then I propose a unique security feature, the Tesla Kazarev Satellite Blockchain Security System. But essentially, it's just a network of low-cost 18 Inch satellite dishes, 18 inch satellite dishes, they pop up all the time on Craigslist and eBay. And so the idea is really simple. We put in orbit, which by the way, now there was a Kickstarter that actually put a satellite in orbit for just, I think it was a few thousand dollars. It raised about forty or fifty thousand dollars, but it doesn't cost that much. So essentially, you would only transact by pointing your dish at the satellite. The satellite contact is available to everyone in that Hemisphere and eventually you'd branch out and have at least sa- three satellites, right? Covering the whole globe. Initially, for a very low cost price, you would then only update POS proof of satellite connectivity. You only update and send and receive transactions through your satellite dish, completely eliminating any other need for internet connectivity. So you own the network, the backbone. Very excited by the idea. So if you're interested, just reach out to me. It's just kind of a side project that I'm interested in. Oh, and there's another neat proprietary feature that involves, let's just say, emulating a blockchain registry and sending it somewhere very unique as a backup plan. But I've only included that in the provisional patent. This is our 12th, by the way, SignalHunters.net and Ancient Artifacts. So if you're interested, just get in touch with me. We'd love to have you on board. And next, Bob Hoy, editor-in-chief investment strategist of BobHoy.com, rejoins the show. He has must-hear commentary. He follows the T-bill rates, and Fed officials, they follow it too, that they're actually going to lower rates simply because the T-bill rate climbs during booms and declines during economic contractions, and they see a decline ahead, so they'll be dropping rates soon, probably by September of this year, maybe a bit later. And he's extremely bullish on precious metal shares in the long term. And then turning to the Ancient Artifacts Project I've been working on, this is my Ancient Artifacts Preservation Society. That's APPS for short. And we are a 501c3 nonprofit organization. Of course, in the works, we're we're just a startup. But we have found this week what I truly believe just tops everything else up to this date. Remarkable images from Earth ...of carvings and artifacts by the thousands here, clearly of at least a Type 1 Kardashev visit, probably 50 to two or 300 years beyond where we are now in the technology... And the stories and narratives that are emerging from this are stunning. And tonight, that's right, Monday night when the show is going out. We're going a little early this week because we have to on sabbatical later in the week. But tonight I'll be posting a new race that I think will stun members, specific members of our society. But I don't want to give it away. So don't miss that video. It's, I think, one of the most striking yet to date. All right, and Robert Ian wraps up the show with, with his latest must-hear editorials. Q&A hotline, 641-715-3900, followed by our extension number, 514049. Remember, that extension number, that's our mailbox number. Please call in with your Q&A, 641-715-3900. You can call seven days a week, but you need that mailbox number and the phone number. GoldSeek.com Radio begins now with a market weather recap. Visibility virtually unlimited over the precious metals sector for the Fifth week running as investors sent the yellow metal soaring to the highest level in years amid growing uncertainty on the impact of the trade war and increasing geopolitical tensions. At Friday's close, the yellow metal remained over $1,400 an ounce. Silver flew into orbit as well, over 50 cents higher at 1550 Meanwhile, the XAU precious metal shares added percent, up 6 at 82. Black gold, though, stole the show 10% higher, $5 approximately, as West Texas flew over 57.50, Palladium added 38 at $1,500, 2.5%, and platinum added $6 at 8.11. While the top story impacting the markets, gold leaped to the highest level in nearly six years now, up about 10% for the year, On news, the Federal Reserve could start that rate cut cycle as soon as next month. The Chicago Mercantile Exchange Fed Funds Futures suggest 70% probability of a rate cut at the July meeting. That caught the markets off guard yet again, a significant change in sentiment since just last week. Traders were expecting a rate cut in September. Plus, we also hear the Fed isn't the only central bank interested. The European Central Bank head economic minister, Mario Draghi, noted on Tuesday. Tuesday that if inflation also is tame in the EU, there might be a rate cut policy there as well. Meanwhile, gold was boosted by geopolitical tensions on news Iran's revolutionary guard reportedly shot down a drone, a U.S. drone. Our president tweeted that the United States would take military action, but then cooler heads prevailed. Plus, continued geopolitical uncertainty surrounds the trade skirmish between the two global economic superpowers, the U.S. and China. That increased the risk premium. However, next week, the U.S. President Trump and the Chinese President Xi Jinping will come to the meeting table at next week's G20 meeting in Osaka, Japan. That's the group of 20 leaders summit scheduled for June 28th and 29th. Elsewhere, a city group noted on Thursday it's wildly bullish on gold, analysts now calling for 1500 to 1600 ounce as soon as the next 12 months. Under a bullish case scenario, assuming that the real rate falls under zero. Bottom line, precious metals. Well, the alpha stocks gold stock candidate yet again exploded over 12% this week. That's a 50% outperformance of the XAU. Investors are continuing to pour into related exchange-traded funds backed by gold. As holdings climbed to the highest level since February, sharp money managers and institutions are starting to see the significant value of underpriced gold shares relative to priced-for-perfection high flyers, and that certainly came to pass this week. Moving on to the Wall Street report, visibility was virtually unlimited over the New York Stock Exchange for the third consecutive week as investors loaded portfolios with discounted shares in anticipation of a rate-cut cycle as soon as next month. By Friday's closing bell, the Dow added 630 points, 2.4 percent, ending at 26,720. Meanwhile, the S&P 500 picked up 64, 2 percent, ending at 29 and the Nasdaq 235, 3% finishing at 80.31. That's 60% higher approximately than the year 2000 peak in the Nasdaq in nominal terms. Moving on, the top headline, sending the markets higher. Clearly, investors were excited by bullish comments from the Fed officials as increased liquidity plus lower rates translates into a big boost in corporate buybacks. Lower rates make debt issuance more appealing plus the government inflation rate now is just at 1.5 percent for the year that's down from the 1.8 percent projected in march which is well beneath the two percent fed target rate so that half a percentage point gives the fed policymakers all the wiggle room needed to flood the torpedo chambers and full speed ahead Turning to interesting shares, CNBC's share guru, Mad Money Jim Cramer, noted a couple of noteworthy portfolio candidates. He's bullish on Cisco, ticker CSCO, which trades just 17 times earnings. And then there's American Express, ticker AXP. He's also a fan of Home Depot, ticker HD, which trades 19 times earnings. He did suggest waiting for pullbacks, though, on some of these. In his top 10 list, he included international business machines, ticker IBM, IBM has a nearly 5% dividend yield. He also sat down in his executive decision segment with the CEO of Caterpillar, nearly a 100-year-old blue chip company, ticker CAT. This is a construction equipment maker that was written off by investors who were nervous about the potential for tariffs, even though that's only 10% of the company's sales. U.S. shares bottom line. Well, the USA Today Greed to Fear Index moved to the perfect equilibrium point between bulls and bears, despite the big rally. So to me, this suggests that there's a healthy level of skepticism still by the herd, and the smart money is using that as an opportunity to accumulate. The technical position is constructive, but still there's a high level of momentum. Coming up after the break, more Gold Seek Radio. Thanks for choosing GoldSeek.com. Radio as a trusted business and investing news source. It's just a real pleasure to welcome Bob Hoy back to the studio today, formerly of Institutional Advisors Now, Charts and Markets. Welcome back, Bob Hoy.
1: Yeah, good to be with you, Chris. Some excitement lately. The, uh, you'll recall that last year we were looking uh, at the probability of a, the discovery of a liquidity crisis in the fall. And if there was one, it could take until as late as Christmas to clear it. And that's indeed what happened. And I just looked it up the other day that on December 26th, uh, our chart works came out and noted that both crude oil and the S&P were down into a sequential buy. So then the next thing is with with the uh, the low accomplished, we thought it a rally out till March, April and be accompanied by a rally in industrial Commodities such as base metals, crude oil lumber that sort of stuff, which we did get and of course the uh, crude oil uh, base metals peaked in March, and the uh, crude oil continued on into April so this was good stuff it it created the best four month rally in early in the year and ages if not the best ever so uh we got the rally and what we're at, Chris, is that this was obviously a seasonal move. So the next step is to put our technical analysis onto it so that you know that if you're getting excesses <laughs> at the time you thought the market would be high, you know that most of the move is in, so, uh, and then in the last few weeks got a sharp correction But it's the same old seasonal that quite likely positive things into April, May, maybe even to June. And then after August, you have the probability of things turning down. And this is your old sell in May and go away. And when you've seen these same forces all the way back for, well... If you were looking at great financial bubbles, stocks and things, there was the South Sea bubble in seventeen twenty and then uh, which uh, had its high in June and uh, did it around in the summertime and then crashed in the fall and then if you look back even further on prior to the time when there were equities and in the city states in northern Italy. Florence, for example, there was an active market trading uh, mortgages, mortgages, and there was an incredible huge issuance of mortgages, and then it became illiquidity, uh, illiquid, and then there was a crash. That was 1346, 1347 in there, but and there's also a very lengthy and thoroughly scholarly book written on it by... Uh, a writer by the name of Cipolla. At any rate, the worst moments in those contractions were realized in the fall. So that's the way we work. When it's time for a rally, we note it. And when it gets overbought, we note it. And then when it's time for the sell-off, which would be, oh, let's say after August. um, And let's look at the things that would accompany this. You have you can have a seasonal high for crude oil in uh, late September. Last year it was October the 3rd. But you, it, more frequently and then re- quite regularly you can have a, a seasonal low for crude oil in December, January. and the And the stock market goes up and down with crude oil. The other one is copper, for example. It can have a seasonal high somewhere between March and July and then a seasonal low around November, December. Uh, Lumber uh, is another important industrial commodity, and it can have a low in October. So these are forces that that one doesn't want to defy. One wants to take advantage of them, and the way you do that is by having a reliable set of technical indicators that, in our case, We get uh, one model, is, and it's based upon momentum and timing, and it gives an upside exhaustion maybe a couple of weeks before you actually get to the high. And then there's another one, which is not proprietary. We got it from somebody else, and that is based upon pattern. And it gives, at a high, uh, what we call a sequential cell, or at the low, uh, a, a sequential buy. Then on the other one, with the upside exhaustion at a high, it'll also give you a downside capitulation. So now there are many people who try to buy a falling market. And as the old saying goes, it's like trying to catch a falling knife. So on, while as tempting as a declining market can be, uh, our downside exhaustion model sort of reduces the harm <laughs> that can be caused by trying to catch falling knives. So it's been working for a long time, Chris, and, and we really enjoy it. Our subscribers enjoy it. So what we're looking for here now is a trading range for all of, you know stocks, um, junk bonds. Oh, here's one we should put in the bond future. And when the stock market got heavy in the fall, the bond future started to rally as the counter-trade. And then at the beginning of the year, we thought, well, maybe the bond future could rally out to May or June, and it has. But in the last few weeks, it's given a very strong, um, well, very exceptionally high readings. So it's very overbought. So, And also, the, the reason for buying it was when the stock market got iffy, then it's sort of a flight to quality, i.e., the long end of the treasury market. But in history, when you get into serious problems, the flight is to short dated instruments, T bills. And this is what's now driving treasury bill rates down quite sharply. And with the long bond over that's going to add some stress into the equation. So uh, we're looking for bond prices to sell off, and we're looking for short-dated rates, like T-bill rates, anything shorter than one year, to be declining in yield. And this is really important, Chris, because part of the recent rally has been that the talk that the Fed is going to lower rates now, Probably for every once in a while over the last six months we were writing that what was missing for an important peak was the street to say, oh, the Federal Reserve will save us by (laughs) cutting rates and that will extend the boom. But uh, I just did a piece on and included interest rates back to 1873, the 1873 bubble, and it's all there. T-bill rates go up in the boom, and yet when you've had rates up as recently, then the street starts worrying, oh, rates are high. But hey, if you just look at the evidence, short rates like T-bills go up in the boom, and, and as they are still going up, they confirm that the boom is on. You don't want to worry about anything until the T-bill rate turns down. So the six-month bill rate reached its high in December and has been really declining since March. At the three-month bill, which is more the action item, it uh, it reached its peak, uh, oh, six, seven weeks ago. And then, uh, I guess, two weeks ago, broke down through the 20-week exponential moving average. So the T-bill rate is heading down similar to what it did in 2007 and similar to what it's done on every boom and bust cycle going back to at least 1873. So the, the evidence is very strong, Chris.
0: You uh, took a look at the 1800 crash, 1873. You mentioned and you found similarities between this pattern. and And one of the key patterns is the sell in May and walk away, the adage from Wall Street that we all remember. uh, It just seems to work so often. And there's been a lot of conjecture surrounding it. For instance, obviously people are more active in the warmer months. They're taking vacations. They're traveling. There's hotel accommodations. Air flights, increased sales, and and things of that nature. Um, But for the most part, it it seems to hold true. Um, But I did want to get to something a bit more timely here. I'm sure you saw that the Fed head, uh, Jerome Powell, last week gave us some surprising forward guidance. It really caught the markets a bit off guard. We saw at the Chicago Mercantile Exchange the Fed Fund's futures collapse, giving us nearly a five-month increase in the likelihood or the probability of the rate cut cycle beginning as soon as next month at the next FOMC meeting. That's what the Fed Funds Futures implied probabilities are suggesting now. That's a sea change in sentiment uh, by the investment and financial economic community, uh, which were really not calling for any change or any budge in policymakers' Fed on the benchmark overnight lending rate stance until December slash january so with this big change it's obviously inflationary right i mean as rates start to decline uh, that means that uh, the fed's going to do everything it can to pump the economy it sees some trouble
1: the reason why a bill rate goes up in the boom is that there's uh demand for by speculators for short term money not just speculators but businesses and everything else and that shows up in the t bill rate and then comes the magic moment when the aggressive speculators slow down, and then you have the next magic moment when very careful money goes to the most liquid item, and that is treasure bills in the senior currency. It's much easier, Chris, to understand that the financial markets move uh, the Fed, the Fed Everybody thinks that the Fed moves the financial market. Uh Uh-uh. At uh, times like this, uh, like, for example, in 1929, and this latest market has had more of the classical characteristics of a great bubble than we saw in 2007. So there's uh, more similarities to 1929 Recently than any uh, bubble since. So in 1929, the T-bill rate went up to uh, May of 1929, headed down, and I have no idea why the Fed raised the discount rate in that August. Uh, But I know that there's a New York Times article on it from, I don't know, August 17th or something like that, 1929. And the Fed announced that its policy was it was going to tighten a little to Wall Street because it was speculative, but they had a a way of easing to Main Street. Um, So then the market took a hit, and then in October, the Fed lowered the discount rate so it followed the market by what five or six months, and then similar on the 1873 bubble. So the history says that at the end of a great boom, the uh, market rates of interest, like a T-bill, the one that trades all of the time, 24 hours a day, seven days a week, sets the uh, the reversal, and then eventually the Fed follows. So our guess since March has been that the Fed would lower the uh its discount rate in September or October. Uh well, or as they call it now, the Fed funds rate. So anyways, that's the administered rate. So uh the to consider that the Fed is setting interest rate policy is uh, not the full picture. If you look at evidence the Fed follows market rates of interest. And uh, my guess is on the next contraction, many of the public will begin to figure out that the Federal Reserve managing the economy has been a fraud and a farce all the way through anyway. So let's just go back to the people who originally promoted the Federal Reserve system. And they correctly knew that a financial setback would lead a recession. It's the way business works. So then their theory was that with a Federal Reserve system, it could be the lender of last resort, and it would then prevent the financial setbacks that preceded recessions, so there'd be no recessions. And this goes back to, you know, while the Fed was formed in 1913, And this was one of the key uh, motivations. But if you look at the NBER, which keeps track of the business cycle, there's been 18 recessions since the Fed opened its doors for business. Now, if you're a physicist, you'd say, hey, that theory doesn't work. But I think also uh, on the next recession, with this popular uprising going on, the public is going to say, you guys spent trillions of our tax dollars to prevent a a recession. And here we are in a recession. So, you know, that would be a year hence. You know, you have to wait till you get into it. But I think the next recession could greatly diminish the general regard for the Federal Reserve System and all of its manipulations and bogus theories and absolute nonsense. So I'm looking forward to it, Chris.
0: Clearly, Fed officials simply just did not reverse course on most of the QE, okay, from the quantitative easing, as they refer to it, which is essentially just good old-fashioned money printing, as they say. So now we still have Let's just say more than $3 trillion remaining on the Fed's balance sheet. So we're in, you might say, something of a unique position here. For the first time that I can find, at least over the last hundred years of the Fed's tenure, at the helm of the world's largest economy, they did not have, let's say, the opportunity or did not at least seize the opportunity to curtail their QE operations, their money printing and ring the excess liquidity from the system. And now we're facing the potential of another two quarters of back-to-back slowdown. We're on the cusp of what in the rear view mirror seen in the rear view mirror as uh, the beginning of runaway inflation.
1: The pattern has been since, uh, early 1700s where you have uh, a huge global boom in commodities and, uh, That peaked in 1711, and then there was the sharp crash and the deflation that followed. And then out of it came the South Sea Bubble, which was the first fantastic, huge stock mania. And traders and participants at that time just kind of invented the thing. Now, there had been bull and bear markets in London uh, since the 1670s, when there were enough stocks being traded and enough traders to make a market. So at any rate, the first one, the South Sea bubble, uh, then blew out and was followed by a very harsh contraction. So then, uh, decades later, you then had the same pattern go up that, uh, uh, and where you then had a global boom in commodities, a sharp contraction. Then, uh, a decade later, the, uh, Uh, Financial mania blew out, and that's the same thing right up to 1920 was the huge boom in in commodities, and the crash was in horrendous. Actually, in 1920, the U.S. rate of CPI inflation got up to 22%, whereas in 1980, it got up to, I don't know, 15%, and people were sweating bricks about that one. But anyways, the pattern has been is that when you've had the big commodity boom and then the next big commodity boom was in 2008 and that's when crude oil was up to 147 and a decade later you have the big inflation and financial assets so and then so this is now the sixth time around for these paired events the big commodity boom big stock crash so i'm just going to add a little more detail here chris in in the 1920s, the Fed was very concerned about weakening purchasing power because the commodity boom was over. So for the last decade, the Fed has been, following 2008, the Fed was concerned about weak purchasing power, only they phrased it that they had to keep the CPI inflation up at 2%, otherwise something bad will happen. So, Again, to go back to the 1920s, the Fed was worried about poor pricing power, so they were exceptionally easy not understanding a stock bubble. So for the last decade, the Fed was exceptionally easy not understanding a stock bubble. So then on six such events, each one, once the stock boom was really over, was followed by deflation and everything. So the pattern has been inflation and tangible assets crash, inflation and financial assets crash, deflation and everything. So I don't have the imagination to suggest that this time it's different, that following a stock bust you're going to go into uh, a huge uh, inflation and tangible assets. No, no. I'll stay with the old historical pattern.
0: Yeah, well, they say that history rhymes if we're looking between now and the 1920s and even 30s simply because it was such a robust time. The economy, the nation as a whole, the manufacturing sector. And then as we came out of World War II, you know, we were the de facto global superpower. And I'm afraid that today, If we were still that manufacturing superpower, you know, we're barely holding on to number one uh, against our largest trading partner, China. If we really still had that strength, why do we still have nearly three and a half, almost $4 trillion on the Fed's balance sheet? That, according to the St. Louis Fed's official tally. If we were in such good shape domestically, if this economy... Uh, were so robust as our as our policymakers would have us think, then it would it have been an easy play just to to soak up and wring that excess liquidity out of the system? But now we're in a position where all we can think to do is prepare to heap even further money onto that enormous debt load, and we may look back at this as the the beginning of the end as far as global inflation is concerned. So. As we wrap up, do you have any other comments on the precious metals? I mean, obviously, we've had a, a nice run-up here in the past few weeks, and U.S. stocks turned around as well. Precious metals, it, it's
1: a fantastic sector. The, And again, I'm going to recite the history on this, is that in order to understand gold, you have to deflate the price by the CPI in the senior uh, currency. Well, So beginning in 1700, of course, sterling was, the currency. And there's a pattern. And it it worked this time. But in the final stages of a great financial bubble, gold's real price comes down. And uh, it's been coming down since 2011. And it makes the gold sector, gold stocks, underperformers relative to uh, the uh, Dow Jones Industrials.
0: I would request that you might step back for just one moment at the bigger picture and note that the price of gold and silver and related commodities, not necessarily on a real basis, but in comparison, the real U.S. share prices from a nominal basis, yes, U.S. shares have had a phenomenal run, but on a real basis, the NASDAQ is only approaching break-even here, whereas the precious metals are still sharply higher, even on a real basis, from the year 2000 peak. If we look just at the competing asset classes as complementary goods, then I think it gives us a slightly more positive uh, view of the precious metals.
1: The next stage of what I was working on is that when the real price of gold sets uh, its low as the stock bubble is ending... Then each uh, of these, well, four out of five examples, were followed by a 20-year bull market in gold's real price and a 20-year bull market for gold stocks. Of course, there'd be interruptions; would be the ordinary business cycle, you know, the three or four-year business cycle. So the the gold bugs of today uh, are all on the inflation story. But they would be well advised to take a look at financial history and realize that some of the greatest bull markets for gold and gold stocks have occurred in post-bubble deflationary contractions. And uh, we had the real price of gold come down with the latest bubble. We had the gold stocks underperforming the S&P during the bubble. The other one that was is also historical is that Real prices of base metals, such as copper, well, they go up in in the bubble and then down in the long deflation afterward. That's where how gold outperforms everything else. And uh, for this well, the last six or seven years, uh, gold deflated has been doing what it does in a bubble, and it is basing here now, which I'm enthused about. And I quite expect that during the post-bubble contraction, the gold's real price will go up, and as it goes up, it improves the profit margins for gold mining. It's Mother's Nature, Mother Nature's way of reliquifying a crazy credit system when you're in a credit contraction. If the real price of gold goes up, it gets into the banking system. So when you've got normal and finance, fanciful instruments of credit contracting in a bust, you've got the real price of gold going up, which starts to reliquify the system. And it's been, this has been doing it, Chris, for 300 years relative to stocks. So I'm very convinced that we will have a great bull market for gold stocks, but it won't be due to the uh, the old-fashioned idea of inflation. It'll be due to gold's real price going up, as it did in the 1930s, as it did in the 1880s, and all the way back. It, it's, it's quite regular. Uh, uh, for example, the greatest gold rushes have been like California and Australia in the 1840s. Well, that was at the bottom of the, the of that depression when the real price was high and unemployment was high, so you had unemployed young men looking for something to do and they would have a gold rush. And then that repeated in the 1895 gold rush in the uh, Klondike. So... Uh, even the gold rushes have occurred at the at towards the end of a great depression. So, um, financial history, when you lay it all out, is really remarkably regular. So, I'm looking for a bull market in gold stocks. History based strictly on history.
0: Very good. Well, you know, that's going to be music to the ears of our listeners today. Okay, Bob Hoy, as we wrap up, if you could tell people a bit more about BobHoy.com, all the great material they will find when they bookmark your website and log in.
1: Yep, they can do that. It's just BobHoy.com. And also, even if you just Google Bob Hoy, that B-O-B-H-O-Y-E, there's all kinds of old articles and papers and stuff floating around. So this story that I've just given you on gold it, it's published in a number of places over the last few, or the last decade or so. Actually, I've been working on it since since about 1980, so it's been
0: fascinating. All right, thank you so much, Bob Hoy.
1: Good, Chris, and look forward to talking to you next time.
2: The blockchain revolution is transforming the global arena, disrupting every industry in its path. Goldseek.com is excited to introduce an off-the-chain opportunity in digital gold and silver from our friends at Atmex and Sprott.com. One gold holds physical gold and silver medals at the Royal Canadian Mint, the first online marketplace to offer secure and convenient buying, selling, and redemption of digital precious metals. One gold uses Vault Chain, a secure, immutable blockchain ledger developed by Tradewind Markets, the leading innovator in digital precious metals distributed ledger and blockchain technology vault chain gold and silver are 100 redeemable through one gold for physical precious metals delivered to customers doors in any size at competitive prices and low transaction storage costs as a special offer and for a limited time only one gold is offering gold and silver at spot price with no additional premiums one gold.com is secure and accessible 24 7 on any device offering convenient purchases and sales of precious metals easy recurring transactions make passive saving and gold dollar cost averaging as as easy as a single mouse click. Vault Chain offers the best tier pricing on AppMex products, setting the industry standard as a fully backed physical asset with easy redemption in coins, rounds, or bars, offering clients peace of mind and full transparency. Don't get left behind. Remember to bookmark oneGold.com for the safest and most convenient digital precious metals today. Remember
3: One Gold. GoldSeek employees may or may not own shares, nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice
2: shopping for fine jewelry just got easier goldseek.com has identified the most successful jewelry brand to launch in recent times. Many Jewelry is rewriting the way consumers buy fine jewelry. Integrity Craftsmanship, the only company to sell 24-karat gold and platinum jewelry, avoiding confusing alloys and gems, a true precious metals investment. Many Jewelry's disruptive business model embraces Franco-American craftsmanship and direct to consumer economics, rapidly disrupting the $20 billion monopoly, just like Amazon and Uber. The sky is the limit with $1 billion of jewelry purchases daily for loved ones and those special occasions. Many Jewelry is an innovator positioned to capture market share, with annual sales growth in the industry topping $30 billion by 2021. Many Jewelry coined the term investment jewelry, pricing by the gram, transparently disclosing its profit margins, a truer investment in pure gold or platinum. Similar to real estate, even artwork, Many Jewelry has a weighted value, easily calculated, ensuring value wealth as a long-term investment. With sales in 60 countries around the globe, 20000 orders already don't miss out on the explosive growth potential many jewelry trades under the symbols m-e-n-e on the toronto exchange and in the US M-E-N-E-F. remember to sign up to many's shareholder club to receive shareholder news updates and special discount codes for jewelry purchases
3: remember many jewelry gold seek employees may or may not own shares nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice
0: Glad you're back with us here at Gold Seek Radio. It's a pleasure to welcome back co-founder of PeakProsperity.com, author of the best-selling book, Prosper, Chris Martinson. How are you, Chris? Oh, I'm doing very well today, Chris. Great to have you here. And, you know, we'd like to sink our teeth into the financial markets.
4: I'd be very, very surprised if we don't have a lot of uh, governments working on their own official version. In fact, I know people who are working um, on the equivalent of what would be a Fed coin. So, So they're going to, clearly, it's in the, the interest of the state to have something like a cryptocurrency for a variety of reasons, right? I mean, you've heard all the Fed officials come out and say, gosh, we'd love to entertain the idea of having negative interest rates as a real policy tool. The problem is people have cash, you know? So if you could get everybody in a digital currency, that's a status wet dream. They love that idea, right? So we know they're thinking about it because they've already talked about it. The question is, you know, which of those ideas is going to win out and what what will go forward. I agree that for now they've been happy to let the cryptos run a little bit as an experiment. I would disagree that they can't that they couldn't put a uh, the equivalent of a of a wooden stake uh from the treasury department into the heart of something like Bitcoin. And my thinking behind that is they simply go to all their big banking buddy friends and they say, "Listen, uh... we don't like this stuff anymore anybody who's caught um, you know running uh... any sort of an exchange server swap out into the banking system from any of these uh... now you know banned things on this list will you know risk their charter or civil or criminal penalties but they have ways right we know they can do it they haven't so far that's interesting that they haven't done it that tells me that there's a future to this i just can't figure out which way it's going myself yet which is why again all the way back your first question What's a reasonable percentage? It's still pretty low at this point in time because I think there's a lot of uncertainty.
0: My stance on it is we have officials who are just starting to wake up to the concept of what it is. I don't think they recognize the threat that it poses on the pre-existing draconian Monetary system. If we're completely above board, yes, we've created incredible wealth, and there's never been prosperity like this. There's incredible synergies and wealth that have, that has been created. Technological revolution, information revolution, and and it just rolls forward. I won't argue with that. But still, it does oppress an enormous sum of people. And those folks find themselves, I think they're caught between the crosshairs of an outdated system where they have no access to any funding, right? Whether it be a small business, any type of loan, any type of financing outside, especially the United States, third world countries, Central South America, just as a case book example, and enter the world of cryptocurrencies where suddenly from a library computer or an iPhone that you found discarded in a trash can. OK, and you get Wi-Fi free from a local cafe or library, instant access to Bitcoin, and you can start sending and receiving immediately without any transaction fees whatsoever other than what's in your account that you've accumulated. But there's an entirely new world opening up. Outside most of the control, yes, they will try to enact all types of means, I'm sure, to control this. But I think the genie's out of the bottle. It seems like every week a new development team comes up with another way. We have Monero, we have Zero, we have Komodo. Virtually anonymous means for sending and receiving wealth. let us We don't have to call it money. Call it potential energy if you're a physics student. But you have a means for sending securely and in a cryptographic form wealth around the world. And I would even argue using your just uh, an 18 inch microwave telescope, you could bounce it, you know, off Uranus, off, or off Jupiter, if you like, or, or something even further away. You could send your wealth off and it would only return, let's say, four years later from Alpha Centauri. I mean, there's all kinds of possibilities that are opening up. I'd like your thoughts then on how this ties in with gold. Do you expect a company such as Kinesis that we're following and promoting here sometimes? on this show, to find a really tangible way of connecting the safety, security, and safe haven aspects of gold, silver, and related precious metals with the cryptography and the instantaneous benefits, the anonymity, and of course, the digital friendliness of the crypto world.
4: You're talking to an old school guy. I still believe everybody used to have A core position in gold for sure and silver too in their hot little hands i'm a big believer that we've got a a giant monetary reset coming that's part of my concern about the space of of cryptos in terms of how they're valued is it's pretty clear that there are a lot of computers uh, playing in that space, and there's a lot of big money. You know, we've seen those moments where you get these instantaneous $400 you know, spikes and drops and things like that that just tells you there's, there's, it, that's not mom and dad doing that. That isn't your next-door neighbor you know, hitting the buy or sell button. right? So, so there's a, uh, some whales out there doing what they do. And my concern always is what happens if or when we get into this next big reset. So part one is everybody needs to pretend as if, This next big reset is going to really have a dividing line, a before and after dividing line. And what you want to have is you want to have real, tangible assets. So I'm not deluded at all at this point in time in terms of how I think. I might be wrong, but I'm not confused. Real wealth is real wealth, right? So this is the means of production. It's farmland. It's trees. It's gold. It's silver. It's oil. It's things like that. That's That's the source of the real wealth then how do what sort of technologies do we put on top of that to move it to guard it to protect it all of that that's still that 's still up up for grabs um, totally open to that, but the world I see is one where we 've already hit kind of the peak of of world debt and indebtedness at this point in time we 've got massive amounts of claims on the underlying at this point, and we 're due for uh, ordinary recession just because of the clock here, but it 's really um, something that I think goes a lot deeper than that, because I understand that this bubble began way back in the 1970s. This wasn't a housing bubble in 2007. That was a side bubble. The larger bubble we've been running is the one where we've been making claims—that's debt—has been expanding at twice the rate of the underlying economy. We thought that was a great idea. Turns out to be a bad idea. The authorities are busy defending that idea as if it were still a good idea. Your readers and listeners need to think through this. The answer to this question is. What do you want to be holding when that system finally gives way? And to me, that core position, the core position is in the real stuff you've got. It's your house. It's your home. It's your lands, It's your tangible assets. That's the core. On top of that, what are we going to do next? You know, where's all this going? I hope. I hope this all holds together and we continue to enjoy an increasingly marvelous uh, technological future that, that delivers lots of promises But I'm not really of that mind for a variety of reasons, including uh, all of the ecological data that I collect is, is really pretty dire right now. And it says that we're at a brand new point in human history where we have to begin wrestling with probably the most dominant fact there is, which is we can't continue to grow exponentially on a finite planet. And that has not been resolved yet, and every system out there, including a lot of these technological plays, are busy pushing for the idea that we can pretend that's not a true statement. To me, it's a true statement. I think a lot of people would share that. We can disagree, but for me, that's, that's the core position I hold. So that's what we have to worry about and think about and plan, and what are our kids going to study and, and what kind of a future and what kind of a world are we leaving behind, because we've hit the ends of what we can really do. I mean, there's no fresh continents. We're probably not going to discover a new Permian shale basin in the United States, pretty guaranteed about that, right? we got what we got. We're, running, we're burning through it. And the question is, where are we going to be when, not if, but when, um, we sort of hit the, the edges of that? So that's where we are. This next 10, 20 years is going to be really critical. We're bumping along right now. More and more people are waking up to this all the time. I think there's extraordinary um, opportunities here, but you got to understand the game is completely changing all the time, but in a really profound way.
0: I'd like to return for just one moment to the crypto concept, because one of the reasons why, unfortunately, I was running late with this interview today was that I was having actually an epic debate with another guest on the cryptos, who uh, is also a huge gold aficionado, as we are here but who just does not appreciate the um, intrinsic value, who claims, and I won't name names, there's absolutely no intrinsic value, there's no value whatsoever in cryptos. And the analogy that I try to share with folks who are just starting to wake up to this novel and unique, if you will, concept, think about Microsoft. Can you go to their manufacturing plant and purchase a Dell-like computer or laptop, a Hewlett-Packard-like laptop, or even a uh, Fire Stick or a Roku-like device you know, to run your internet or whatnot, or an iPhone or an Android. I'm sure they have several devices. But that was not the, I think, case model uh, over the last few decades. They create an operating system. What is tangible about an operating system other than the fact that new computers, and I guess you could argue existing computers, require it to function? And there are alternatives to Windows operating systems out there, some much better, I'd argue, operating systems as well that run Linux and of course, Android and whatnot, people forget that cryptos, there is way too many out there and that's very confusing and they've flooded the market and now there's an oversupply and that's a different issue. But at the heart of it, Bitcoin has a Microsoft-like quality in its intangibility. And it's also, of course, the hash rate and whatnot requires, as we have here, miners, ant miners and related uh, hashing computers to process the blockchain in order to evaluate the latest transactions and to keep it up to date. And this is what I think people can't wrap their minds around. They can't understand that each Bitcoin is a unique, just like each operating system sold by Bill Gates and uh, Ballmer, Steve Ballmer, and sadly, Steve Allen, who's passed away. Their operating system. You can sell them individually, even though they're identical. An incredibly wildly successful company, Microsoft, still one of our favorites today, and the potential for not necessarily Bitcoin, but Ethereum or some other competing crypto to gain market share and become the next Google, become the next Microsoft, the next uh, Netflix, the next Tesla, somewhere down the road. Why don't I let you wrap up today with your parting thoughts, maybe give investors an idea, on uh, any positive comments maybe you have on the precious metals, uh, constructing a winning portfolio, or if you have any individual securities that Peak Prosperity is examining that you'd like to share.
4: We're an educational uh, outfit. We don't make specific recommendations. I will tell you very educationally, I love silver right now. It's uh, it's, uh, below the all-in cost of production for most of the uh, dedicated silver miners. So that's not a place that you usually stay at too long and silver is consumed and destroyed, as it were, lost at the molecular level in industrial processes. I believe we're gonna have an industry in the future. And uh, it's actually the only it's the only commodity I can pull up a chart of from the World Silver Council and see that it's been in a structural deficit for ten years and the price is basically below where it was 10 years ago. I can't tell you any other commodity like that. Uh, It's my belief that um, many of the commodities are actually uh, over-controlled, as it were, by the speculators. They are the signal in the system, and the consumers and producers are the noise, and and there's just so much paper money doing things. I'm sure it makes sense for some computer algorithm to short silver, and, and it makes a lot of sense, and they make money at it. That's fine. But in the meanwhile, in the background, very quietly, we've, uh, we've seen the structural shortfall. Uh, we're seeing mining come down. So from a fundamental standpoint, fundamentals will matter again. And so this is a great time, I think, to be using a fundamental approach to look at things, like I just mentioned for silver, and say, where have, have prices gotten away from the true underlying nature of, of this thing that we're looking at? And I think there's tons of examples like that. A lot of people are going to be really unhappy with their Lyft and their Uber IPO purchases. That's my view. And a lot of people are going to be happy that they took the time to look at where we really are in the resource story. This includes food, energy, water, metals, things like that. Uh, Those have been absolutely hammered down. We're we're at the, uh, again, if you love ratio charts, a ratio of commodities compared to equities. We are at a multi generational low. In fact, I don't know that we've ever been quite this low in terms of commodities being out of favor and uh, as stocks and other paper goods being in favor. Welcome to bubbles. So when this reverts, and they always do, uh, I think we're going to see that, that ratio uh, swap out extraordinarily. So from a portfolio standpoint, please don't be too long on, on uh, the paper claims and uh, relative to real tangible Wealth. and that includes companies that are involved in, in uh, real tangible wealth creation. So I think we're at a really interesting part of history here. And this is where great fortunes will be made.
0: And we're obviously looking at, you know, the next great wealth transfer. I don't know how quickly it, it never seems to happen as quickly as gold and aficionados are expecting or hoping for. I mean, I think we both can, we can agree on that today. I'd like to parallel your thoughts on silver. Um, everyone knows here I'm a huge fan and believe that once this is recognized as just the opportunity of the century, how could you look for a better fundamental case? You know, it would be hard to find, as you say, and I think you alluded to, uh, a more appealing, undervalued asset out there to add beta benefits to your portfolio today. Anything else you'd like to share? Maybe tell folks a little bit more about peak prosperity, please
4: peakprosperity.com. That's the website. We've got a public and a subscriber-only area. We've been offering all kinds of new material. I've got a lot of podcasts there. We've got uh, just some fantastic ones I would direct people to. uh, A very important article I wrote a couple weeks back called Our Company Store, and that talks about this financialization and how the producers of Real Value have have really gotten um, uh, hosed over in this particular story, and and it's an important idea. So, uh, again, our company store. Take a look at that one. And um, uh, we have a number of webinars that we're offering. One on real estate, very popular. So people could come and look for that one as well about real estate investing. Just the basics. This is for novices. Uh, if you don't understand you know, a cash flow statement or you understand uh, what a cap rate is, come check it out, explain it, demystify because it, that's a great uh, asset.
0: Please return in 2019.
4: Happy to
5: do that. Thank you.
2: shopping for fine jewelry just got easier goldseek.com has identified the most successful jewelry brand to launch in recent times many jewelry is rewriting the way consumers buy fine jewelry Integrity Craftsmanship, the only company to sell 24-karat gold and platinum jewelry, avoiding confusing alloys and gems, a true precious metals investment. Many Jewelry's disruptive business model embraces Franco-American craftsmanship and direct-to-consumer economics, rapidly disrupting the $20 billion monopoly, just like Amazon and Uber. The sky is the limit, with $1 billion of jewelry purchases daily for loved ones and those special occasions. Many Jewelry is an innovator positioned to capture market share, with annual sales growth in the industry topping $30 billion. By 2021, many jewelry coined the term investment jewelry, pricing by the gram, transparently disclosing its profit margins. A truer investment in pure gold or platinum, similar to real estate, even artwork. Many jewelry has a weighted value easily calculated, ensuring value wealth as a long-term investment. But sales in 60 countries around the globe, 20,000 orders already. Don't miss out on the explosive growth potential. Many Jewelry trades under the symbols M-E-N-E on the Toronto Exchange and in the U.S. M-E-N-E-F. Remember to sign up to Many's Shareholder Club to receive shareholder news, updates, and special discount codes for jewelry purchases. Remember, Many Jewelry.
3: GoldSeek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice.
2: The blockchain revolution is transforming the global arena, disrupting every industry in its path. Goldseek.com is excited to introduce an off-the-chain opportunity in digital gold and silver from our friends at Atmex and Sprott.com. One gold holds physical gold and silver medals at the Royal Canadian Mint, the first online marketplace to offer secure and convenient buying, selling, and redemption of digital precious metals. One gold uses vault Chain. A secure, immutable blockchain ledger developed by Tradewind Markets, the leading innovator in digital precious metals distributed ledger and blockchain technology vault chain. Gold and silver are 100% redeemable through One Gold for physical precious metals delivered to customers' doors in any size at competitive prices and low transaction storage costs. As a special offer and for a limited time only, OneGold is offering gold and silver at spot price with no additional premiums. OneGold.com is secure and accessible 24-7 on any device, offering convenient purchases and sales of precious metals. Easy recurring transactions make passive saving and gold dollar cost averaging as easy as a single mouse click Vault chain offers the best tier pricing on AppMex products setting the industry standard as a fully backed physical asset with easy redemption in coins rounds or bars offering clients peace of mind and full transparency don't get left behind remember to bookmark onegold.com for the safest and most convenient digital precious metals today remember onegold
3: GoldSeek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice.
5: This is Robert Ian with GoldSeek.com Radio. This August will mark the beginning of the 12th year I have been providing commentary, insight, and analysis on GoldSeek.com Radio. Last week, I had the privilege of having a conversation with a longtime listener of this show who has followed us since before the 2008 financial crisis to the present day. He asked me how I was able to manage and process all the negative financial and political news of the past decade and still sound optimistic and positive most of the time despite the financial setbacks and defeats that many have suffered in silence along the way. His question stopped me in my tracks. I had to think about it for a while before responding. When I did, I thanked him for thinking I was optimistic and positive, at least most of the time, on the very difficult subjects we often discuss on this broadcast. But if I had to boil it down, I would say it's about time. Unlike gold, time is the one commodity we cannot save. We can't bury it in the backyard for a rainy day. We can't pass it down as an insurance policy with no counterparty risk from one generation to the next. All we can do is spend it. Because each of us only has so much time to spend, not to save. We all have the same amount, 24 hours a day, 7 days a week, all year long. Scientists can't invent new minutes. Rich people can't buy more time than poor people. Each morning when we awake, another 24 hours gets added to our account. Our only choice is to spend it. So it becomes a question of what are you going to spend your time doing? What are you going to spend your time thinking about? What thoughts are you going to let dominate your mind? Because like it or not, you are the sum total of your thoughts and actions to this point in time. And a year from now, You'll be the sum total of your thoughts and actions to that point in time. The preponderance of thoughts you fill your mind with will ultimately determine your attitude. And if you focus on enough good things in life and what needs to come next, you may even sound optimistic or positive when discussing what are otherwise negative and energy-draining subjects. Because navigating this constantly changing obstacle course called life requires knowing where and how potential setbacks may occur so you can avoid them as best you can and make the most out of each and every 24 hours that you have in front of you. The world didn't completely go off the edge the past 12 years it may have come close a few times and may come even closer in the decade ahead gold didn't soar to 5 10 50 or 100,000 dollars an ounce thank god but it could regardless of when where or if any of these situations will eventually come to pass you have to live in the meantime So today, and tomorrow, and the day after that, take some time to smell the roses in your life. And until next time, this is Robert Ian with ConquerChange.com. Thanks, Chris. Okay, Robert,
0: thanks for another excellent installment. Well, that wraps up this week's GoldSeek.com radio episode. For two new big guests, be sure to check out next week's show. Until we talk to you again, have a great week.
3: GoldSeek employees may or may not own shares. Nothing contained herein should be construed as investment advice.